morning, food lovers, and happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you. Uh, you're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Hay, and we're going to start out by getting you to imagine a real Irish feast, um, well, but also a food delivery service that's really right in line and on target for how we're shopping for food these days. So, so you've got time. You've got time, because Patrick's Day is when? The, the 17th. 17th. Yeah. And today's only the 7th. Oh, so, so, you see, so you got you got plenty of time to stock up, right. plenty to eat and drink, all that kind of good stuff. And Elisa, what's her last name? Fastnacht. Elisa Fastnacht, who's, who's a farmer in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Uh, and she has a business called um, the Marketplace at Emerald Valley. And as part of that business, she has a monthly lifestyle box. Which, because it's March, uh, is this time things Irish. filled two boxes of Irish products. Okay, so you'll find out some more about She's what's in those boxes. And in the meantime, Alyssa, uh, so welcome. So here's Alyssa. Alyssa Fashnock, did I do that right? You did. You did it very well. <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, we have an, an interesting discussion today. Um, we're going to have to start at the beginning. Uh, you, you have the marketplace at Emerald Valley, which yep. is in uh, the center of Washington, PA, and you mm-hmm. also do um, cooperations with um, farmers in um, Wheeling, West Virginia, and other southwestern Pennsylvania places. And you're, we're talking about your marketplace at Emerald Valley in uh, business, and your lifestyle box program, which I just received two boxes of. And do you send those out every month? We do. We do a a lifestyle box. Uh, It's, you know, one per month. And just so happens that March, the box comes out about the second weekend of every month. We try to keep it the same time every month. And, of course, that kind of puts us pretty close to St. Patty's Day. And mm-hmm. when when we land on a holiday like that, like we did the same in, in February, it was Valentine's Day. So the boxes tend to, tend to become rather themed. You know, we like to have some fun with it and look to the local food basin, the local farmers. I am a fourth-generation dairy farmer myself, and so I kind of relate, you know, farmer to farmer really well. We look at what we have coming in from the farms and the other small producers, uh, and we put together something that celebrates, it celebrates the season, and so the season is St. Patty's Day, right? Right. And these, um, who, let's go way back to the beginning, uh, Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit about it. you've organized all these local farmers and get their products and then mm-hmm. um, showcase them and establish a connection between um, their products and your customers, right? Yes, that that is beautifully said. Tell us what your motivation was. What was your motivation? Uh, well, I'm a farmer. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm a farmer first. I'm born and raised and my family. I live, I still live on the farm that, you know, that I grew up on in, in, uh, 
historic and beautiful Scenery Hill, Pennsylvania, which is in Washington County. It is pretty. And yeah, it is. It's a lot of people are familiar with the region because they've been to a historic restaurant by the name of the Century Inn. And so yes, this is, I've been there. That's on. <laughs> I bet you. I bet you have. Well, then you've nearly been to my farm because we sit right behind the inn, and the inn sits on Fava Farm Road, and that is my maiden name, Fava. So. Um, lots of history here. Uh, it, and so in, in my case, to answer your question, what I learned growing up and what I've seen being in the farm-to-table uh, movement since its be- beginning here in, in the Pittsburgh region is, you know, farmers make amazing things. There's a lot of small producers that make amazing things. And not all of them, not all of these people aspire, believe it or not, to market their products. They need their products to be marketed. That's an important part of, obviously, how they make a living. But not all of them want to be act- actively involved exactly. in marketing. Yeah, well, and, I'm explaining um, to you that I was involved with organizing one of those um, groups. Uh-huh. And it's like, uh, I, <laughs> give me Green an example cats. of what it's like. <laughs> Herding yeah, cats, I think we said. Yeah, herding cats. You know, it, you know, not everybody aspires to be marketers. Some people just really want to be involved solely with the production of the product. So a lot of times what we were looking at are situations where I look at it as what is the barrier that exists to getting that product, you know, you know that exists between the producer and the end user. And how do we remove that barrier? And, and so that my, my whole drive is to seamlessly, as seamlessly as possible and directly as possible, connect the, the producers to the end users with minimal drama. That's my whole mantra right there. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> no bit. small matter. <laughs> no, it is no small matter. But a lot of times um, the systems that already exist, like distribution, you know, everybody, you know, from the giant eagles of the world to the Walmarts and everybody else, they've all gotten on the bandwagon, so to speak, I'll use that word loosely, um, of local. You know, so you can walk into your local Walmart, and in the summertime, the first banner you're going to see is local sweet corn or local produce, and they may, they may even name the farm. So it tells me that even at the highest levels of corporate America, they they have heard the consumers and, and they understand the value of that word local. Oh, yeah. The, the, pro- the problem is that, you know, in those situations, local consists of a few items inside of a large supermarket setting where there may be 100,000 items or more and local items are maybe, you know, three to five. Items and you have to find them <laughs> in yeah. that you know overwhelming number. We're the opposite, okay? So when when I when I looked at how what needed to be done, we felt like what happened if there was a place where ninety five percent of what is in that store was all local or regional, and we were able to put a face on all of that. Like uh-huh. you should know who that is, where are they from, and if you wanted to know a little more about how they produce, that information should be available. So we well, did you sound like a natural marketer, I'll tell you that much. Well, 
Well, I, I don't, you know, I, what I see it as is just wouldn't this be what really any of us would want to know? Mm-hmm. I, I think I we've kind of gotten too comfortable with the idea of buying things and knowing very little about their background. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm just talking about items in general. Like who made that item and how was that item made and, how you know, what about the person who made that item? And so I'm going to try to raise your awareness level. And I think you do need to ask those questions. It's just good to know. Um, I'm very proud to be a farmer and I'm very proud of, of uh, American agriculture. I think uh, the American farmers have, you know, just done an amazing job of feeding all of us, okay? Oh. You know, without doubt, until we hit this pandemic, none of us, and I'm going to be 60 in May, none of us in, in terms of me, and my generation or those that are younger than me have ever even paused for a moment to have to be concerned about would we have enough food until this pandemic came. Yeah, well, that was going to measure up. This is very timely now. Now, when did you yeah. start this this uh, service or this? Well, market? the marketplace in Emerald Valley is going to be. We we opened in November of 2017, which obviously predated the pandemic. Yeah. Um, we started as a pop-up and then decided that it looked like an idea that had merit and we were going to stay longer than just, you know, 90 days. And okay, now and, it's very, now, I mean, we're in the midst of it and, and right. everything I've read says that more and more people are shopping uh, like this online, um, uh, getting stuff delivered to their um, door and, yes. um, and and they won't ever go back to the old style, big supermarket kind of shopping. Well, and yeah, I guess but, time will answer that question, won't it? And yeah. you know, I mean, we're all yeah. going to find out. It's a giant social experiment at this point. You know, everything is new uh, with the pandemic. You know, in terms of behaviors, we certainly have seen a very serious uptick in in the you know number of you know, consumers looking for local and having it conveniently provided to them. Now, convenience can be a matter of they want to come and shop in our store, which they're welcome to do, or they want to order online and pick it up curbside, or they want to order online and have it delivered to their home. Any of So that you actually have a physical brick-and-mortar store? We do. We farm. have a physical okay. brick and It's not on the farm. It's in Washington. Because oh, remember, right, yeah. my my farm is in Scenery Hill, but the marketplace yeah, right. at Emerald Valley is at 145 South Main Street in Washington. Okay, got it. Just down, just down from the courthouse. Correct, just down from the courthouse. We're actually um, across the street from the Observer Reporter, and uh-huh. we're uh, we're located right next to the covered parking lot where the Main Street Farmers Market is held. So that's a nice little, like, you know, tie-in that during the season from May to October, every Thursday from 3 to 6, the Main Street Farmer's Market is right outside my door in the parking oh, lot right next, right next to my building. So we have that nice theme of, like, local food, farm-fresh food, a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, and it's all, like, right there. And so it's, it's, it's kind of concentrated, and it's really been, like, it's it's – 
it's like a nucleus, you know, like a little epicenter of of this happening. And so people are seeking that out, obviously, more now than ever because of the pandemic. Yeah, well, I'm wondering, you know, the competition has certainly increased with the pandemic, though, because every day there's another person in that market space. Sweetheart, can you can you let me ask a question? Yes, sure. Certainly. I think it's kind of important to, for people in the community as a whole, as far away as Pittsburgh, to understand. So, what what's your geography from a delivery standpoint? Well, it's actually very broad, and so we have been as far as Catanning. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We've been as far as Catanning. Um, we certainly have gone north of the city. Um, you know, Wexford, Cranberry, up into that northern part. We've been as far south as Mason, um, Morgantown. almost said Masontown, but Morgantown, West Virginia, to the south. Uh, Greensburg, uh, the Greensburg, Latrobe area to the east. And, uh, you know, we, we go, like, out towards Wheeling, uh, Wellsburg, to the west, so, you know. So your, your, your truck goes out... Every few days, I guess, right, and cover this. We go out, we, yes, we go out weekly. Uh, our deliveries, our home deliveries in particular, tend to take place on Fridays and Saturdays. And we map out each week, we map out, you know, the Friday and Saturday run uh, of where things are going based on what orders came in that week and what the, you know, what the geography looks like for that. So every week. Uh, people uh, place their orders, and, you know, they've grown accustomed to expecting their delivery to happen either, either on Friday or Saturday. Um, now, so that's in gets, the system. What, now, what gets delivered is from your farm and also from other, other farms in the area. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. At this particular point, we are handling uh, 61 different farms and small producers in our market. So, yes, it's a lot. And that, and that number is going to grow. We're, we've got products getting ready to come in that, that is not included in that 61. So we are always um, open to, you know, looking at different products. Uh, we try to make sure we don't have a tremendous amount of duplication. Uh, so everybody kind of gets a shot, you know what I mean? But the product has to have, uh, it has to meet, you know, the standards that we've set for our own selves, okay, in terms of quality and is this something that we think our consumers are looking for and, you know, just all of those little details get looked at. And, of course, we, we vet everybody and make sure they have the proper licensing uh, we do try to oh, make vendor visits. Too, yeah. yeah, we have to deal with all of that. I mean, we're resp- Listen, I need to bring you um, a fully responsible product. Yeah. Okay. That's right. that. That's uh, that's see, my you know, that's obligation. Key. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. key, and I kind of wonder about there. There's some of these um, marketplaces that are opening up, uh, and but what they do is they start out at one place as local. And then they spread to another one and another one and another one so that it becomes a network of forums, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and you kind of lose the um, the direct connection with local 
growers and farmers and so on. Now, now the, the other thing you're doing, Alyssa, is you're, you're featuring connections to special days on the calendar. Yes. With, yeah, well, we like to, one, we like to celebrate the season. coming up right now. We do. We have one coming up right now. So we're, uh, we just got done celebrating uh, uh, love. <laughs> Everything turned up roses, right? And now yeah. we're going to... We're going to celebrate uh, everything that is green. So we're going to celebrate St. Patty's Day. And uh, so we themed our lifestyle box, for example, you know, as a St. Patty's Day type theme and, and searched for the best, what we felt best representation of that would be uh, based on what, you know, what's coming in right now. And so yeah, there well, were we, some wonderful, we, we, we some... discovered some wonderful things. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of it was new of, that we got, but we seem to have gotten a lot of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Now, people get your choice. I mean, there's no um, – really, I have a, a menu here that we printed that has um, – you probably have it on your website, which has items people can order specifically yes. and the price. Yes. But if you're yes. buying what you call lifestyle box – which is tied into a, a season or whatever, you do the selection. There's no... Um, that is correct. Okay. Yes. Well, the, see, that's, that's kind of a tricky thing. Hmm? It's curated. It, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's a fully curated box. So we've, we've presented you this box where we've gone in and selected these items and put them together. Uh, we think this is the best representation of what we have. So like in your lifestyle box, uh, for March, you have a Reuben sandwich kit, and that features, you know, a marbled rye bread from Mediterra, a beautiful corned beef from Toma Meat Market in Saxonburg, which is north of Pittsburgh. And they uh-huh. use all local local farms to supply their meats, so we know that it's domestic meat that's being used and local meat. Uh, we included the sauerkraut from our friend Menno Yoder and his family up at Sunny Slope Farm oh, in that Somerset. Is. That is. That's who that is. And we have included, now in your kit, you you got some of the gold medal Gugesberg Swiss, and that's out of Ohio. That That's a world-renowned Swiss. But okay. actually, when the box goes out, it's going to contain a rye Havarti, a raw milk rye Havarti from God's Country Creamery. I just don't have that in my possession right now. I just talked to the cheesemaker the other day. That farm is four and a half hours um, to the northeast. They're north okay. of Penn State. So we're, we're going to connect with them this coming week to get the rye. So the actual kit will have the rye Havarti. And then we included our own house-made Thousand Island dressing. Oh, is that yours? So, okay. That's for a Reuben. That. That's for a Reuben. Did, did you make the Pardon me? Did you make the Swiss well, cheese, too? We do not, at this point, make a Swiss cheese. So that's why I went to my friends, the Bachman family at God's Country, um, to get the rye for this. Uh, but, in, you know, also included in your box is you have a really nice uh, Irish stew. And, yes. the, you know, the meat for that came from Highland Fresh Farm up in Somerset, and that's another group of Amish farmers, and they're doing an amazing job, and we sell their meat in our store. And, and we made that in-house. There's a secret ingredient 
There is a secret ingredient in there. You know what it is? <laughs> which, which, which funnily, funnily enough, has a personal connection for me, because. And what is my, that? What is that personal my, connection? One of my classmates at the University of Cambridge was named Dermot Guinness. There you go. There you go. And there is and your secret was, ingredient. He, there he it is. Next, he was next to me in line when we graduated, and the impressive thing about it was his. He was getting married right after graduation, and his parents gave him a house. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> Lucky did, him, I, huh? I, I, did, I did tell my parents they somehow would let me down. I'll tell you a secret. Uh, hmm. I have to tell you a secret. Is, um, and you wouldn't have known this when you were planning a box. But, uh, you know, I have spent years being a food writer and a dining critic and so forth. So as a result, there's nothing that I crave, like, that I can't have, except for one thing that I crave, and happens to be a Reuben sandwich. <laughs> well, I had no way of knowing that, but lucky, you know, there you go. <laughs> lucky me that I guessed right when we guessed, uh, let's do a Reuben kit in there. So yeah, I hope that's that funny, you... isn't it? Yeah. Enjoy that. And and what's nice about that, like the Mediterra bread, I love Mediterra. Um, I know that they oftentimes use uh, flour that is from Weatherberry Farm, and I think you might be familiar with them from your Penn's Corner Alliance days, Nigel right, Tudor right. and his family. They're wonderful people. So strong Washington County connections there. So the food is vertically integrated. I mean, we're, we're all kind of connected. But we also have included that uh, Irish brown bread, uh, which is from Nobby's Bakery. This is pastry chef Megan Walsh, and okay. she's new to new to the marketplace, but she is amazingly talented and gifted. And when I went to her and said, I think we want soda bread, and she said, why do you want soda bread? And I said, I don't know. My sister's uh, husband's Irish, <laughs> and they do soda bread. And she said, I spent a good bit of time in Ireland, and I never saw soda bread there once. But I did see amazing <laughs> Irish brown bread. Would you like that? And I went, I love it. So we, yeah, the we authenticity got of that. Ireland. Yeah, yeah, we we usually the, go to Ireland every other year uh, for mm-hmm. the uh, Food on the Edge in Galway meeting. But, of course, we haven't been tra- under the travel for a year. So, right. um, but, but we love the brown bread there. Yeah. Well, so you have Irish brown bread from Megan. And, and what are those things on sticks? Those things on sticks are naughty little wonderful cake pops, and those are from Megan as well. And she oh, called those. Pops. I know what they she are. She called those pot of gold, and that is a Bailey's Irish cream infused cake pop. Well, there it goes. I won't even get to taste that. Always. <laughs> So, you know, we felt like you needed to end that on a high note, right? But you have the Irish brown bread, and you're going to use that with your stew, but you can also save a little for breakfast and use it with that wonderful honey uh, because she said when she was in Ireland, that's how she often saw it being offered was with some honey, uh, and it's uh-huh. a great way to go, but it would be a perfect pairing, and we like to talk about perfect pairings, so it would be a perfect pairing with your stew or your honey. You okay. have that. You have some fresh greens. Yes. that were hydroponically grown in pods um, by the farm at the Greater Washington County Food Bank. And oh, so okay. this is, uh, this is uh, has just been like such a hit this winter. That's part of our winter CSA. We have a CSA subscription. 
and we have a winter one running right now, and folks have been able to enjoy these fresh-grown, hydroponically-grown greens, uh, some salanova and some red romaine, and sometimes we have microgreens and parsley and kale. It just, from week to week, it kind of flows, so you have okay. some of that. Now, and I have a question. Have, mm-hmm. My question is, um, I mean, more and more of these um, competing companies like this are springing up. Um, how do the farm, um, farms keep up with, with multiple companies wanting local goods? You know, we have that new place in Braddock, that's a vertical indoor hydroponic farm that mm-hmm. is tended by robots. Do you know about that? Yeah, I think I've heard about that. I can't tell you that I'm terribly knowledgeable about it. I don't think any of that has, like, really – there's not enough of any of that going on to have it have impact in any kind of negative way. Uh, in terms of farms, and I'm a person that, like, I think competition makes you better, okay? Yeah. I don't think it's a threat. Well, that's what most I, people say, yeah. Yeah, well, it, and it does make you better because the reality is in the absence of competition, you're going to rest on your laurels and you're never going to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to discover what's coming next. And curiosity needs to be part of this process. Like, I'm curious, what if I tried this? what would happen. And so that's how innovation happens. That's where you're going to find the next great discovery. And so I think all of this stuff becomes part of the mix because we need to feed ourselves. And, again, I'm going to go. The pandemic should have been, if nothing else, a wake-up call to all of us, regardless of age, that food security is not a guarantee unless unless we choose wisely to build a food system where we're guaranteed to have adequate food. And so right now, there's a lot of food insecurity out there. Oh, please. Uh, I share of all these people and, and waiting for free bags of food. I mean, people yeah. never in their yeah. life had any insecurity. It's, it's devastating. Yes, so, we, uh, we know uh, that Lisa, all you well, sound yeah. like you have a lot of motivations that are, not, um, that are way beyond the idea of profit. I, I wonder about some of them because what they do is they start out local and then um, they, they get bought out by somebody um, not so local and, and then you end up with not so local. Um, and, you know, and the, are the two big issues, I mean, this is another big issue, is, um, well, we need to address two issues, let me put it that way. Um, one of the things that people have complained about is that it, the uh, mail-order uh, produce and groceries and so forth um, is expensive. Well, I mean, it, it sort of has to be, doesn't it? Well, I, you know, I can't speak to, like, the bigger, you know, chain experience, like an Amazon experience when it comes to fresh Oh, no, I'm not product, talking about you know. that, you know. I'm not talking about if that. If you're talking about, like, the Giant Eagle online experience no, or a I'm not grocery chain, what are you either. talking about? What are you no. talking about then? What you, then maybe well, I don't I'm talking about, like, a lot of people that really supplied only high-end restaurants, uh, growers, mm-hmm. producers, and so on. Uh, their prices tend to be high even in this market, online market. Um, uh, and, and yours, I think, is pretty reasonable. Why don't you mention about pricing? 
Well, when we look at this, it's like it has to make it has to be a sustainable system, and yes, it's not going to work if it's just you know here to take advantage of an inconvenient moment like a pandemic. Right. So you know we're looking at building a new food system. That's really what we're doing. Okay, we're building a, a local food network that is going to give all consumers in this region an opportunity to buy fresh, healthy, nutritious foods as directly as possible. And it gives these farms a place to be marketing their products year-round and not just during the summer seasonal farm market. It also removes the burden from these farms. You know, farmers markets are wonderful. Um, I'm a big supporter of them, and, and we need to have them. But if you talk to anybody, and I've been a vendor at farmer's markets, so I know this from my own personal experience, if you talk to these farmers and these small business produ- these small producers, it, the markets are wonderful, but they're also a grind because they, they're going to suck an entire day out of your, out of your schedule. Now remember, these guys still have to farm, and these gals, yeah, guys and gals. I mean, I still had chores before I went. I had chores before I went to my farm market, and I had chores when I came home from my farm market. So, well, I, I wanted to, do, to bring this up only to say that I think that yours is very reasonable because I now have uh, this two boxes of, of the, the specialty local goods, mm-hmm. and and it's so generous and the proportions and portions and number of items is really generous. We need to tell people uh, how to get, hello? Yeah, go We ahead. need to tell people how to uh, get them, like give us your website. Sure. Well, if they want to go and, and, and they want to shop on our virtual farm stand or they want a window shop, maybe you can place a purchase there, um, or you can just get familiar with who we are and what we have to offer, they can go to thepitplace.farm, not .com. Dot F-A-R-M. Tell me that again. The marketplace. It's the marketplace. Marketplace. Place. Dot farm. Dot farm. And that's mm-hmm. it. It's interesting. That's it. I, ne- I never, I never knew, I never knew farm was available as a. I didn't know either. Like that. It is. So yeah, we're we're about we're. We're a dot farm, and you can go there. You can you can click on our virtual farm stand. It's one of the tabs available to you, and you can shop. It's fabulous. You're fabulous. I'm so glad we pulled this <laughs> off, Alyssa. <laughs> and I hope we continue well, you're pretty to stay in too. touch. Yes, Pardon? absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, for oh, sure. We really are thrilled with this, this whole thing, and thank you for the opportunity of talking well, to you and learning you. about yeah. it. You've yeah. obviously thought through a lot of issues, and that's what we're dealing with a lot right now is the issues yeah. having to do with Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. We're going to move you now from southwestern Pennsylvania to the Lone Star State of Texas, where we're going to talk to Dale Murden, who's president of the Texas Citrus Mutual, um, a very important uh, organization at this time of great crisis on all fronts in Texas. Let's listen to Dale. 
Yeah, Dale is essential, that's for sure. But we, we sure learned a lot about citrus from the Lone Star State in the process. Yeah. So, so let's get him in here. And we're going to be talking to Dale Murden, who is the president of the Texas Citrus Mutual. Um, you're going to tell us, Dale, and of course, the whole thing with what's going on with the crazy weather and, and the electricity and everything else in Texas has been in the news every day for um, how long now? So we're all kind of aware of it. Uh, in fact, there was news today about um, some of the suits against the utility companies. Anyhow, but you're going to bring us up today. First of all, tell us what the Texas Citrus Mutual is as an organization. Sure, no problem. Texas Citrus Mutual is basically the growers association here uh, in Texas, representing Texas citrus growers and packers, uh, you know, on the federal and state issues that, that come up. And where are you located physically? You know, the commercial citrus industry is located in deep south Texas, right along the Rio Grande River, oh. uh, what we call the tip of Texas. We're a three-county area in deep south Texas, Hidalgo, Willisie, and Cameron County. And that's where the, the commercial industry is located. I see. Now, you're not quite as far south as the Rio Grande, though. So. We are right on the Rio Grande. Oh, you're right are on you the Rio really? Grande. Okay. Yeah. yeah you no, I mean, I, I knew, uh, I know because people have always sent us those um, ruby red grapefruits, but the Texas was the main supplier of uh, grapefruits. But apparently there's a concentration of citrus crops in general, in Texas, right? Yeah. Um, again, the commercial industry is, is down here in deep south Texas. We're a subtropical uh, region, which has always lended itself extremely well to growing citrus crops until you have that once-in-a-blue-moon deep freeze. Yeah, well, it happened, didn't it? It happens. Um, well, uh, now, I mean, like, where would you place Texas in terms of uh, – like rank of of the amount pr- produced of citrus. I mean, like after Florida, yeah. we are Texas is the third largest citrus producing third. state in the United States. California, Florida are one and two, and, and yeah, we're the third. We're a, we're a we're a fresh fruit, uh, predominantly a fresh fruit industry, and predominantly grapefruit. Yep. Well, I love your grapefruit, and I I got really worried reading about what was going on there with these horrific storms. Um, the freezing, sub-freezing weather, um, utility shortages, water shortages, power outages. Um, this this was really. Uh, you say it's happened before. Well, we've uh, we've had these type freezes in the 80s, 1983, and again in 1989 were very substantial freezes for us. Uh, arguably, uh-huh. probably worse than this one. Uh, although I don't remember back then losing power and, and some of the utilities like we did in this one, which I guess is a whole other podcast discussion, I'm sure. But uh, nevertheless, we did get down to 21 degrees here for several hours in a row and spent over 50 hours plus, over over 50 hours under freezing. And, you know, for a, for a crop like citrus, that's just too cold. Now, well, yeah. Does it, does it mean... Dale, does it mean it's gone? I mean, like, it's not recoverable? Or Well, I think what we're seeing for this freeze is, is we've lost the crop that was remaining on the tree. 
Uh, we had about 55% of our crop left, which meant we were about, you know, less than halfway through our crop, and we've lost 98% of our late orange crop. Uh, to compound the problem, in Texas, we typically bloom in February and March. And by blooming, that means the tree is going to grow a little flower, and that's going right. to produce the fruit for your next season. So right. that happened to me this last year. I, I have an Asian pear tree in my backyard, and it has produced like a ton of Asian pears forever and ever and ever. And we, we had a cold snap just exactly when the blossoms were coming out. And, and I never got a single pair last year. Yeah, so that's a problem for us. We basically lose two crops, what was left on the trees and arguably uh, a large a large uh, percentage of next year's crop. So that's the blow to Texas citrus. No income for, for two years is going to be a tough, you know, a, a tough oh, fight wow. back. Now well, the character, the characteristic of a Texas grapefruit, for the, for those who haven't been listeners around the world who pro- probably never went to Texas and, and never had a grapefruit, what 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 makes them especially unusual? You know, ours is the dark red grapefruit. It's not. That's the what I was trying to tell my husband. Yeah, yeah and it's blood red oranges, not pink, blood red. Yeah, That's what they, I used to get as gifts. They they used to refer to us as ruby reds, but back then when we were growing ruby reds, those were actually pink grapefruit. Oh, and, what we, and that was just a, a, you know marketing. That's what they called them. But uh, oh. after the '83 freeze, we came back with a with a variety that was dark red, deep red, and we call it the Texas Rio red grapefruit. And that's oh, what we're known for now. It's a, especially high in bricks. It's sweet. Uh, it's it's not your grandmother's grapefruit. Yeah, that's wonderful. We just got somebody sent us a pink pineapple. Did you see that? I just wanted to get a word in here. My mother didn't. My mother used to love the Texas grapefruit. Yes, she loved it. My grandmother always preferred the white grapefruit, and always <laughs> as long as she was alive, I had to make sure I kept the white grapefruit growing just for her. <laughs> You know, my father liked the white grapefruit, but he didn't put sugar on it. He put salt on it. Is that common? Oh, yeah. I, most people I know back then put sugar on them. Uh-huh. It's funny. With salt. Deep, this deep red one, it's so sweet you just really don't have to. Right. Now, I, I remember grapefruit growing up in England, and I, I don't know where the grapefruit came from, probably Spain or somewhere like that, but, but you needed to put a lot of sugar on it. Yeah, back then you sure did. They were kind of tart, and you know that that's, uh, that's something that that we're all faced with as grapefruit growers is educating these these young consumers that that it's not that tart uh, flavor anymore. I, I, I love to do taste tests with kids, and they put it in their mouth, and you can just see the expression on their face immediately <laughs> that it's not what they thought. I love grapefruit. I was reading, you see, um, that this what happened with the weather um, means that we could expect a shortage, scarcity of grapefruit, and price increases. Yeah, you'll absolutely see a a shortage of Texas grapefruit for sure. Uh, They do grow fresh grapefruit in Florida, uh, and so they'll they'll still have their product, uh, uh, but it'll probably be you know, a year and a half before we fight our way back to the shelves. Really? Wow. That's, 
It's devastating. What kind of relief do the growers, um, is it, what kind of relief is in place? Well, we're looking for that right now. It uh, remains to be seen. There's been so many disasters around the country, and on top of the pandemic, uh, uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a tough, tough hill to climb. You know, just in an 11-month period for us, we had uh, a lingering drought down here. Uh, and we had we had a hurricane in July. Hurricane Hannah paid us a visit in July. And then we had the St. Valentine's freeze uh, all on top of the pandemic. So for citrus growers down here in South Texas, it's been a rough year. Yeah. Well, but you know, the, the um, concern is, I mean, uh, I was reading today that um, the utility company, I can't remember what it's called, that blatantly uh, quadrupled everybody's uh, uh, energy bills. Um, it was being sued by the Texas Attorney General, and another yeah. utility company already has got, gone into bankruptcy. What right. was going on? And, uh, well, you know, the Texas has uh, always entrusted their power uh, management to, uh, to ERCOT, and uh, I think uh, Texas has learned an invaluable lesson that they need to uh, take a long, hard look at how we've been doing that for for the last couple of decades and, and uh, fix the problems that arose from this one. Because as I mentioned, in the 1983 and 1989 freezes, I don't remember losing power like we did this one. I was I was without power off and on for a week, and, and water as well was a result of no power. So it was a rough but what was the now. problem? I mean, what, what, what caused oh, man, a lack man, of planning? Management, if nothing else, and, and lack of planning. I, I think uh, some of the winterization uh, efforts that that uh, legislate, legislators were told were in place, maybe not in place to the effects of a freeze of this magnitude uh, and management. I just, you know, Texas uh, isn't used to this kind of cold weather, and yeah, it caught up to us. Pe- people, people enjoyed the low prices that, that came along with the way Absolutely, that they had, and I'm, I'm one of them. And, and, I, and now uh, they're making up for it. Now the company's yep. making up for it. Yep, that's a, that's a fact. I am one of those electric bill payers. I mean, the numbers are the numbers are scary. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And I hope our I hope our legislators, governors, and lieutenant governors can uh, get to the bottom of it and get it corrected ASAP, so we don't have this problem ever again. So, I mean, that's, you that's say it was mismanaged. That's the issue. Yeah, you know, that's what it looks like from the outside looking in. I just think uh, they weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. Well, did they not believe that this was a possibility? Well, that's a good question. It, uh, again, we're not used to this type of weather. Uh, I think another issue was forecasting uh, right up until the actual event. Couldn't even agree with each other. We tracked uh, okay, got it. Got uh, four it. different forecasts, and none of them could agree with the type of weather that we ended up having. Uh, so I, think, people, I, think, so I think meteorologists were extremely frustrated with it. Yeah, so so pe- people thought they didn't. It was cold, but they really didn't have to worry all that much. Yeah, as far as as far as down here in the tip of Texas, uh, you know, I think there was mention of cold weather, freezing, possibly twenty eight degrees, but nobody nobody could dream it was going to get down to twenty one for as long as it did. Yeah. And we're the southernmost point of Texas. I mean, I think attention must have been 
uh, lacking at, at some point because you, you really were dealing with a great deal of COVID infection, huh? Oh, that too, absolutely. Uh, the, ours is cyclical. I mean, it'll hit its highs and its lows, and typically they correspond with, with a holiday and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Texas uh, just caught, got caught off guard in a bad way with this one. Yeah, well, you, your senator found a way to get through it, didn't he? Uh, yeah, you're talking about, yes, yes. Uh, it be a little warmer weather from what I understand. Teddy, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I just find him so awful. We, 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 we didn't want to. We didn't want to say anything in case you were a fan. No, I mean I had to you say know, something. I'm, I can't. I just think he's a, an absolute disgrace. I'm I can't believe a, it. I'm about as apolitical as they come. I believe in right and wrong and black and white. And, and you know, if you fix the problem and you fix it forward, you get on with it. Yeah, but see, it's the kind of procrastination. This, it's just there's a lack of facing reality involved with all this, huh? Yeah, on whose part? Yeah. I mean, it, it was what it was. I, you know, again, I've lived through freezes worse than this one. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, are there plans to make sure this doesn't happen again? I mean, how, how sure can we be? Grid? Yeah, I hope there's immediate plans to make sure this doesn't happen again, but I'm not an expert on that subject. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I don't know, how strong is, is your political inference and influence in this Citrus Mutual? Well, I mean, you know, our state legislature meets meets every other year. And right, as luck right. would have it, they're, current, they're, they're currently meeting now, and this has become a top priority. You mean it meets every other year? You're joking. Hopefully. No, ma'am, I'm not. And I'm one of those that's very glad of it because they can only do so much trouble. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't even sit for very long, do they? I'll tell you what, these that meet year-round, that's just a blueprint for disaster, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the time of the year they sit, they don't they don't sit for very long, do they? Well, typically our legislature meets for about 140 Packed, furiously packed days, and uh, because of this freeze, that's getting all the attention. Rightfully so. Hmm. Yeah, you should, I should think so. So, but you, you, we're definitely looking forward to um, absolute shortage of Texas grapefruit coming up, right? Absolute. The uh, the uh, remaining crop is already falling on the ground and rotten, and next year's is going to be light. Okay. Oh. And, but you're hoping to get some sort of government help uh, and relief, right? You know, I, I think I think growers are going to need it. Uh, citrus is not a cheap crop to raise. It's a very long-term crop to raise. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, typically, after a freeze like this, there's shortage of trees to purchase. Uh, let's just let's just pretend you're a, a 60-year-old grower that wants to replant, well, you're waiting three years for the trees, most likely, oh, and then another five years on top of that before you're in production to have any return on your investment. Well, by then, that 60-year-old grower is almost 70. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a long-term investment, absolutely, and it's something that, that uh, growers are going to have to take a hard, long, hard look at to decide, uh, you know, do they, really, do they really want that long-term investment or not. Yeah, yeah. Or they, or, or should they think about doing something else that's not as climate sensitive? I guess. 
well, you know, other other uses for their land, whether it's uh, cattle grazing or or uh, whatever you know individuals choose to do with their land. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of leaving it in agriculture. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've taken some of the finest land in the world and developed it. And once you do that, you never get it back. That's true. All right. No, you certainly don't get it back. That's for sure. So there's so many different sides of this. You hardly even think of it, especially in such a bustling state, so much going on. Now, are, yeah. you come from a long line of growers. A long line of farmers. Uh, I'm probably the first in my immediate family that's done citrus, but uh, been doing it since I got out of high school. And uh, uh-huh. started about the time the 1983 freeze hit, so it was a it was a rough start, but it's something I enjoyed doing. I mean, you know, heck, who didn't who didn't look kindly on growing vitamin C? Uh, right, right. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean, for me, it's something I can hold my head high and say I'm proud that I do what I do. And you have and you have your own orchards. Y- yes. Is that what they, is that what they call them? We call orchards, yeah, groves, orchards, yes, sir. Oh, and um, is I have, I Jose heard. Andres down there still feeding people? Ma'am? Jose Andres said he was going to go down and feed all these people in Texas. Oh, yeah, who knows? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'd be the last one they called. Yeah. Well, I'm... I'm I feel bad. Is there anything anybody can do to help with this situation, like any of our listeners? Well, you know, the United States as a whole had a lot of disasters, from the derecho winds blowing in the in the Midwest to our hurricanes and other hurricanes and wildfires. Fires in California, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in a weird, odd way, we're all working together for the same goal, just for different different disaster-type reasons. But, uh, you know, I mean, the sad part of that, about it is when you, when you don't have any way of, in Citrus's case, of having any, any income for a couple of years uh, and all expense as you, as you rehabilitate, you know, you just you need some help. And uh, that's just a, it's a reality. And uh, there's going to be some good folks go out of business, and we hope we can prevent as much of that as possible. Now, will, will some of these PPP loans, will that, will that help? You know they have. Uh, they've had. They've helped several several uh, ag businesses throughout this past year. Uh, that that's certainly one avenue. Uh, and you know, I hope that I hope things like that can continue. I didn't. I didn't really take much of an opportunity to study this latest COVID package. I was kind of waiting for. You know, you hear so much, and then the end result is right. a little it's different than long. you really heard. Right. It's very long. So I'm just kind of waiting for the. For the end result, to see okay, what's really yeah, in this? I agree with you. Now, uh, this your organization does it have a website that gives updated information ongoing? You know, we uh, yeah, Texas Texas Citrus Industry uh, Alert. Basically, we've had a a, a problem with uh, citrus greening down here, a, a disease that started in Florida and has kind of run its way across the state and so yeah that website you know we do we do put other things on it like the freeze and things like that but that website's mainly designed for our pest and disease issues that that affect growers down here mm-hmm. well i really appreciate all this going on with you i appreciate you taking the time to talk to us dale Merton. oh absolutely my pleasure and um just if just in case somebody wants to check out the organization what is the website 
Uh, Texas Citrus Industry. They can find it that way. Texas Citrus Industry dot com, huh? Uh, org. And that'll that'll lead them to the several several ways of seeing what's going on down here. It's well, okay. I think we're disconnected, Rabbit. You think I've, so? No, Dale's still no, on. No, we're not I'm still on. Yes, oh, I'm okay. still on. Okay, well, we we wish you a recovery as rapid as you would wish it for yourself. And uh, Well, we appreciate that very much and appreciate the outreach. Yeah, and we'll, we will email you when this, this is going to air so you can I listen appreciate to that. it. Right. Enjoy the conversation. Y'all have a great afternoon. And best you too, Dale. Dale. And best luck to you, huh? Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, we're going to take you even further afield now. Um, we're actually only going to move you to Chicago, but in, in idea, we're moving you to Afghanistan and to Muhammad, um, who is from there, uh, Muhammad Salehi, and he is has a company called Hooray Spice and Oh, I mean, if you like saffron, this is pure gold. Okay, so 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 get some while you think of it. Um, here's Mohammed. And we'll of course see you same time, same place next week, right after we conclude this interview. So we hope you enjoyed today's program just as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. We know every time anybody mentions the word spice, the first thing I think about is saffron. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mohammed Salihi um, of Hooray Spice. Um, You probably think of saffron as the first spice, too. Yeah, well, hi, Anne. Hi, Peter. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Saffron is the queen of the spices. In some cultures, that's what they refer to. Um, so I do think of saffron the moment people talk about the spices um, <laughs> because it's what I, I, I do for a living as well as I love saffron. Right. Now, talk to you are from Afghanistan, and uh, but you are now, um, you, you've come to the United States and you're in Chicago. I mean, why did you pick Chicago? Well, uh, thank you for the question. Um, I was a military linguist uh, with the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. I, after high school, I joined the, as a local linguist. And um, after a few circumstances that I, I, I had to leave the country because my life was not safe, um, then I, when I started the visa, the asylum visa, I asked my captain, um, as well as my team members in, in, in the army, and I asked them, hey, I'm going to U.S. I don't have any relatives, any friends, except oh. you guys. Yeah, where should I go? I need to go somewhere because the immigration process asks you where you want to settle. And uh, I remember one of the uh, team members, he told me that, come to Chicago, I live there. It's I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's cold. Yeah, so I ended up in Chicago. <laughs> it is, for sure it was, it was cold, yeah. So um, you, you now have, um, you're not a, a multilinguist at this moment. You are uh, the founder of a company called Hooray Spice, which specializes in Afghanistani um, saffron. Uh, 
how did this come about? For sure, yes, you are right. Uh, started as a military linguist. Now I am a, a company owner or uh, a spice company owner, Hiraya Spice. Um, well, the first, the word Hiray comes from Herat or, or uh, the ancient city of Herat, which is my hometown. Um, that oh, okay. is how the name came. Yeah, for sure. But the reason uh, how I started the business or how I started was um, my, I'm a family farmer, like my mom, you know, my cousins, uh, all of us, uh, we are farmers, and we have been farmers for generations that I remember. Um, when I came to U.S., um, I, I tried to, you know, work with different companies and try to make a living, but then I always wanted to, uh, you know, to talk about my culture, to talk about something other than war and what Afghanistan can offer for my American fellows. Um, as well as for people around the globe. So I talked with my mom, and I was like, Mom, um, I'm wondering if we can bring this, this saffron to the U.S., because everywhere that I eat with saffron here, they smell not very fresh, or they are chemical type of a smell. So what do you think? My mom said, well, sure. I have like a half a kilo of saffron, like 17 ounces. Um, take some, see what you can do, and then if you like it, then we can, of course, start it. So um, that's how, yeah, I brought the first samples of six or seven ounces, tested with a lot of my chefs, and, and they loved it. And, uh, and now, uh, you know, thanks God, now we have 28 farmers that are in our food co-op in Afghanistan, as well as we have 35 women seasonal working with us during the November and December when we harvest the saffron and, and clean and process it. Um, so, yeah, the story started with me trying to bring something from my country to this country. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I, for some odd reason, <laughs> I ordered some um, um, saffron crocuses, the kind of crocuses you get saffron from. Sure, sure. I, I think I had like six of them. And, and when sure. I tried to envision <laughs> how these, or do you call it a pistol or a stamen, which is it, the, um, for the saffron thread? For sure. Uh, uh, so, uh, what's, go ahead, please. Which which is it that you pick? Well, you well, pick? Um, so you know the saffron, the the crocus flower is something coming from that saffron onion, or they call it saffron bulb. Um, uh, the the part you need is those those red stigma or stem, uh, like the the, the red it. threads which are coming out of the flower. Because the yeah. flowers are not, uh, they're, they're used as selling cooking and, and then mostly pharmaceutical industries. But the, the things that people actually get flavor and smell out of is the, the three or four threads that you get inside one crocus flower. But it has to be enormously difficult to harvest those little pistols. No? It, it is, and Yeah, it is. And to be honest with you, that is uh, probably the number one reason why um, saffron is a bit expensive. Um, it's, uh, of course, it's very rare spice that cannot grow in any region. It's also laborious. It's very, very hard oh, to yes. clean. Yeah, you know, that's, that's exactly the reason. Well, uh, you know, I mean, the... Um a lot of cheating goes on in the industry, um, and they mix in things with the saffron when you buy it commercially. But yours seems to be uniformly orange or red. Yep. So, so yeah. So what's the question? Go ahead, sorry. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I just wondered, what do you do differently um, than oh. some of these? Yeah. Absolutely. So one thing, Anne and Peter, um, to be honest, that right now we have uh, clients from restaurants as well as hotels and home chefs is the fact that we bring pure and natural um, uh, completely organically grown saffron. A lot of saffron in the U.S. market are coming from um, countries which they do not cultivate because it's not economically possible. For example, you see a lot of Spanish saffron. It takes almost 18 to 20 hours of labor work to, to make a clean one gram or, or to basically get the stamina out of the crocus flower for one gram. Now, one gram is $12. How can an Spanish citizen can work $12 for 18 hours of work? That is almost impossible economically. That's why these, a lot of big corporations, I don't want to mention them, but their corporation, they add corn silk and safflower. And right. Because safflower is a Chinese herb, so they dye them with coloring, and they add 15 to 20% saffron, then it looks like saffron. What, 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 what differentiates that from a local farmer like me we essentially grow the saffron. We basically, you know, uh, by, by hand or hand harvested, we clean the saffron. We make a different, you know, we, we get the stigmas out of the flower, uh, the three or four or five um, red threads. Um, and then uh, basically we, we dry them, naturally dry them or heat drying them. And then we, we clean them, we ship them to the U.S. There is nothing. There is absolutely not any chemical in the process of cultivation or any food coloring in the process of after harvesting, it's exactly the saffron we get from the farm to the table. So it's, it's as clean, as transparent um, as you can think of. So, yeah. Now, Mohammed, did, did, did saffron originate in Afghanistan? I mean, we associate it with Spain. We associate it with Italy. There's a section, there's a place in Italy where we... We met the elderly gentleman oh, I forgot who, about that, who, was yeah. the, who was the head of the Saffron Cooperative. But is it originally Afghani, Afghanistani or is it Sp Spanish and then it was introduced into Afghanistan? Well, uh, to be honest with you, no, it is not Afghani nor it is a Spanish. Saffron, if you go to the history of three or two... Uh, 3,500 years of history that we have as, as written history, it goes sure. to Greek. It goes to the Alexander the Great era. Oh, okay. That's when, when uh, yes, so the saffron was originated from Greek or Greece. It came to European countries like, um, like Finland. Finland is a huge helper for Afghanistan as well as Italy and, and Spain. Now, from there, in the last at least 100 years, Iran has been the main producer of saffron in the world. Right. Then because, yeah, because Iran has some political issues with the U.S. government, so they, they basically shipped them to Spain, Spain repackaged them under their own brand, and then sent them back to the U.S. Now, what makes oh. Afghanistan, yeah, what makes Afghanistan so, in the recent years, what makes Afghanistan so interesting? Why Afghan saffron so becoming famous now? Because Afghanistan is a very rural and, and, um, and, and, and very rural countries, it's, it's not an industrialistic country, not a lot of technology, chemical, GMO, or, or uh, you know, um, genes modification happens in Afghanistan. That's why the quality of Afghanistan saffron is natural. It's, it's essentially organic. So 
we don't know how to, uh, you know, we are not educated in the, in the sense of engineering to manipulate the saffron, which is a good thing. And a lot of developed countries, they learn how to make it process faster. When you process food faster, you lose some essence of it. You lose some quality of it. And Afghanistan don't do that. It's, it's pure saffron. And, and we have, according to Brazil, uh, international taste and quality, we have the number one highest rating of color as well as the smell and flavor. It's because we don't mix anything. We don't, we don't have anything to, to mix with it. That's, that's how it is, yeah. Well, you, I mean, I guess that there aren't many places that would be able to have a, enough labor uh, at, for the little amount of money that, that the wages are that would go through that torturous process of harvesting it. Exactly, exactly. And you're absolutely right. One thing that we did at Hiraya Spice, we pay our farmers not the local rate because the local rate, the saffron and the, and the, the, the local uh, saffron brokers, they buy them and they ship them to Pakistan or India, and then they reship them as Kashmiri saffron into the U.S. Um, what we do is, in my co-op, I have 28, well, I had 35, but due to COVID, uh, I could not keep up and paying all the, because it was basically, I could not make any money. And we have um, 28 family farmers who actually, we, we solely clear saffron, we clean them, and we pay them a fair wage. Well, fair wage in Afghanistan, as you can understand, um, yeah. right now the GDP per person right now is um, uh, 1300 per per year, uh, if, if you pay, like $100 per month if the person is making okay. good. So what we do is we buy the saffron from the farmers. When we sell them here, we pay them $500 per kilo more to my farmers than, than what they can get from the average market. So uh-huh. that is how I want to make that gap that, hey, I don't want to make the whole money. You know, some of the, my, my profit goes to build the schools for the children as well as we pay the farmers because the only problem right now, and, and Peter, and this is from bottom of my heart, the only problem right now in the spice industry is that the farmers are the people who are getting the least benefit out of it it's in any company. Yeah, so and that is what I, it really broke my heart. I want to I want to change that as as much as I can, because businesses make the most money from end customers, but then farmers don't. So for me, that is the thing that my mission. I want to pay my farmers good. I want them to be happy. Then we will make money. Otherwise, I just don't. I don't want that type of money, which I make the only money and people are not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what What do you What do you have to achieve in order to make that happen? Well, I need to achieve uh, for, um, people trust us. People trust the small businesses. And people should think that when we buy something from a business like Hiraya Spice or other small businesses who are farm to table, they have a list of their farmers. They know their farmers. Uh, but you ask me about any of my farmers from 28, I can tell you with their name, their, their son's name, their daughter's name. So um, oh, wow. in order to achieve that, we need the trust of the people. We need people to buy from us versus buying from, from big corporations because the big corporation, it's a number. For us, it's not a number. It's a, it's a life. It's, it's someone living off of that money. So that is what, what we, we hope that the American people as well as who, whoever listens to this, they, they buy from local small businesses. They buy not only from me but any spice business who is in touch with their farmers, who is in touch with the whole process. Now, do you plan on 
doing um, more different products or just continuing with the saffron? Yes, um, actually, um, and we recently, uh, in, in March, we had the plan, we had the whole idea, another idea, we placed the order to bring cumin. Afghanistan has very good cumin as well as very good dry fruits like, um, you know, like dried figs, dried apricots. Oh, that's um, and we, yeah, yeah, we, we have very good products and all of them are natural and organic. Um, COVID-19 caused us to shift uh, how, how our business was because we, we were focused on the restaurants a lot and we are still are, but then we had to think restaurants are closed. We are not making money and the company wasn't lost. So we had to think of, hey, let's go to the online business and try to see if customers buy and that, that caused us not to import massive amount of cumin. So my goal is by, by mid of this year, in June, we will bring our cumin and we'll bring Afghanistan chalkoza, or they call it chalkoza. Uh, it's a pine um, dry fruit as well as dry figs and dried apricots in June. Uh, we already started the, the packaging and we are working with a designer team. So by then, we will have a few other products from Afghanistan to help us farmers. Okay, so you're going to be a more broad-based product line. Yes, very focused on, on high-end quality and Afghani products. I, I, I don't want to bring, at least for now, because my, my country needs my help. Like, the, the farmers need my help. So I want to be focused on Afghanistan. I love Indian spices. I love Iranian spices, yeah, Morocco spices, but I can't import them. Uh, you know, because I have to, I have to first be sustainable in Afghanistan. Then we probably will move to other countries. But for now, yeah, Afghanistan. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I told you that um, a friend of mine uh, lived in Kabul, and um, and she got, she had to get out because uh, her life was threatened as well. And uh, and so I couldn't visit her. I was supposed to visit her. I was living in Australia at the time, which was a lot closer. Um, but uh, she got out. I mean, about the time they confiscated her passport, then she realized she had to leave. So uh, I have never wow. seen it. But I worry enormously. Um, this is a little off of our, our food um, um, train of thought. But I worry, uh, have all the uh, antiquities been destroyed already? Um, not really, not uh, if you mean in sense of historical ancient places. Yes. Um, uh, if some of them, yes. Like it's very unfortunate um, that we see these extremist or fundamentalist um, groups who are trying to destroy a culture, trying to destroy. Yes, I know. The, That's the, what the worries me. You know. Yeah, it was exactly, um, and Afghanistan is a very ancient country on itself. It has a big, uh, a very um, great history of civilizations and ancient culture. Uh, but, but that's unfortunate that uh, they, they, they destroyed the, the Buddha, the, the biggest Buddha, I think, or the second Buddha. Oh, that, was, that broke my Afghanistan. heart. That really yeah, exactly. broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. I was crying. My family, were, all of them were, were sad. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully, I mean... What I can do every day, I get up, I'm like, how can I help someone um, in Afghanistan or here to change their perspective, to, to be more respectful and kind with each other? Hopefully that, that momentum will create in the world and we would not have these things in the future. Before, before we came on the air, I asked uh, Mohammed 
if he ever saw the movie Charlie Wilson's War starring Tom, Tom Hanks and he said yes I did it was a good movie I agree it was a good movie maybe, maybe you can find Tom Hanks and ask him to do a remake <laughs> you're absolutely right you're, you're absolutely right I love the movie I love Tom Hanks and um, the movie as I said it was 80-90% according to uh, the facts the only problem yeah. is that um, yeah I don't want to talk in politics but the, the problem was that the US helped to defeat Russia with, with this Taliban or other other groups well I, at that time yeah. they were not uh, fundamentalists now they are which is unfortunate and hopefully yeah, US right, or right. or Tom Hanks will change that story somehow well uh, I guess we, 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 well, we have still, a lot to deal with right now you, you have a big job ahead of you Mohammed but I, I have the feeling knowing how far you've come already that some somehow or the rest of the way won't seem like it's quite that hard. So, so we I wish you. All, we, it, yeah. we wish you all, all the very best, you and your and your farmers and your family. And uh, I hope we'll keep in touch, and you let you let us know as you provide more spices. Right, right now I just ran out of wild mountain cumin. Right, sweetheart. Uh, right, I don't know wow, where I that came from. Yeah, well, we have actually, that was the thing, we have Wild Mountain Cumin. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, to be honest with you, after the show, we can talk and I can ship you some Wild uh, Mountain Cumin because I brought some samples of a few kilos to, to show for my chefs. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing. The smell, the flavor of Wild Cumin from Afghanistan is, is fantastic. And thank you for all your best wishes. We will keep, oh, you, yes. keep in touch and we will let you know for sure. But you're doing well. Are you doing well in Chicago? Yes. So as of now, um, you know, I, I always want to be grateful for whatever I have, and I am grateful for the shifts, for Chicago community, for my whole American fellow, for my whole country who trusted me. Like we have customers in California, Minnesota, New York, uh, Washington State. People are buying our product, and then it's because of them that we survived in this in this COVID. And I am very thankful of them. And right. We are good. We are not the same we were like in 2019, beginning of 2019, but still, we survive, and that's a good thing for sure. How about your website before we say goodbye? Your website is? My website is uh, hirayspice.com. It's H-E-R-A-Y spice.com. Um, yeah, that's my website. Please go ahead, and, and uh, if, you, if you buy anything, that's going to definitely help some farmers, something else, and we appreciate that. Well, I thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to meet you somebody who really cares Mohammed. <laughs> I appreciate thank you that very much. thank you of course thank you for having me on your show I truly appreciate it. thank you there you go it wouldn't be the same if we didn't have Anne to sign us off same place same time next week see you then